Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Hello there. I am thrilled to be back with you. I, As you know, if you listen to this podcast regularly, I generally release three episodes and then take a week break to give you and myself a chance to catch up. And we continue that cycle throughout the year. Uh, this time, unexpectedly, I took a break after just two releases. And I did that because I had the wonderful opportunity to travel with my two oldest sons and see an aunt and uncle that I used to see very regularly and haven't gotten to be with for three years. It was a wonderful, perfect time. There's nothing that I would change about it. And again, thank you for being understanding so I could do that. I am back today and thrilled to introduce you to Dutima. Now, if you happen to be in the food photography world, you would not need an introduction to Dutima. She is the energetic, positive, professional woman behind the podcast titled My Food Lens, where she teaches up-and-coming food photographers about inspiration, technique, and especially the business side of things. Dutima is really qualified to do that. She was born and raised by a school teacher mother. Uh, her mother was a history teacher. In fact, she also happened to be a radically experimental and wonderful cook. Dutima was also raised by her father, who was a neurologist in the uh, Indian military. Because her father was in the military, Dutima and her sister and her parents moved every three years to a different part of India. And today, through her words and stories and images, Dutima takes us on a tour through many of the varied landscapes and historical cities that she stayed in in India. But more significantly, she takes us with her on the journey through the twists and turns of a very bold and brave life including a massively successful career as a medical architect. This part of her life is fascinating. To when she chose love for her childhood sweetheart over everything else, how that affected her life, and then most recently, the surprising choice to start her career over in food photography. This is just a wonderful episode. It's super pleasant, incredibly interesting. I have lots and lots of links in the show notes to some of the places and things that she talks about, and I'm super excited to share it with you. Here's Dutima. I was wondering, because I noticed when we were on the phone last week, you have a big mug. <laughs> I do. And it's huge. And you... I got it from Miami. You know, one of those airport airport uh-huh. shops. Yeah, the, the one liter guy. That <laughs> is too funny. So it's honey I lemon know. tea that you have in there. I was like, what yeah. is in that mug? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it's huge. And I think anyone who sees it is like, oh god. <laughs> and I have I have like I have tea like free-flowing tea the whole day oh do you? so I just drink in liters <laughs> okay okay and Herbal I mean tea and, you know <laughs> for a mug that size is that like one tea bag or two or do you just make your tea like in bulk and then you fill it up <laughs> um I yeah it's one tea bag 
once you, okay <laughs> i love it i love it. you you know what i always have that mug in all my podcast recordings i'm always sipping tea no one has ever asked <laughs> oh, me this <laughs> oh really oh yeah yes. i was noticing and you know what's funny is um we're like uh what's that movie um i think it's called big it had like mm. the really short guy and the really tall guy <laughs> so i <laughs> i'm the opposite because i only drink coffee Ah. Of, um, so of course, both times, you know, it's been morning here and evening there. Like I'm just gearing up and you're just winding down, mm-hmm. but, um, I only drink coffee out of, I have like little espresso mugs and I don't drink espresso, but I drink coffee in them because yeah. uh-huh. I like coffee to be really hot. And so Great. by the time you've drunk the amount that's in an espresso cup, like you would have to yes. go back to the microwave and reheat it anyways, which <laughs> destroys the taste. Oh so, my God. And you're I the also, opposite. <laughs> yes. And I also, I can't drink a lot of caffeine. I just start to mm. get um, like physically anxious. I, I just feel zzz, even if there's yes, nothing really yes. on my mind and I don't like that feeling. So yeah, I just drink out of my little espresso cups and you've got your big, huge cup. We're like, oh my God. And that's right we should, we, yeah, here. we should do cheers sometime. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. A virtual cheers. Exactly. A virtual oh cheers. God. Yes. So, well, I'm so, um, I'm so looking forward to talking to you and to introducing you, I guess, in some ways more to your podcast followers. Um, because yeah, like this, this, I, I have such tiny hints about you. I know, I know of course about your very vivacious personality and your amazing presence on video. Um, thank you. Oh yes. It's, it's quite, I mean, it very, it definitely stands out in a wonderful way. Um, I know about your tea drinking. (laughs) Well, I didn't know that. I knew about your big mug. (laughs) Um, I knew, I know that you were an architect and now you Mm -hmm. are a food photographer and a food podcaster. That's, I think that's almost everything I know about you. And what I don't know at all is your story. Like I I have this snapshot of Mm -hmm. Dutima as, you know, in this, in this period of time, but I don't know your story. Like what's made you that? So um, the only hint I have maybe tell me is that you recently took a trip to India does this give me a hint to your to your story? Yeah, I did take a trip to India and it was actually a very it was a very emotional thing for us. Oh really. So I live in Singapore and yes. my entire family lives in India. Mm. And you know how big India is. So everybody yes. lives in different cities and these cities are in every direction of the world mm. that you can possibly imagine. So north, south, you know, east. Mm. So when when we, when my daughter was born, mm-hmm. uh, within three months of that, COVID happened. Mm. And we live here in Singapore, so none of our family is here. And mm. so for the, you know, the following two and a half years, we never got to see them. Mm. And my daughter grew up literally, you know, so old, just not knowing who grandparents were, what grandparents were, you know, what, mm. what does, what does Nana mean? You know, mm. she mm. had, she had never met cousins. She didn't know what a brother or sister meant, you know? Mm. So for us, yes, taking that trip to India was um, introduction of our daughter to our family, like in a very you know official way, they had only seen her when she was two months old wow. and then, and yeah. And so she was two and a half uh, over two and a half close to three you know, when we had to take this trip. The other thing that had happened was that 
when COVID happened, my father, you know, he suffered a heart attack. And that was the time when the entire world was in a lockdown, like so strict that even within India, my sister lives in Mumbai and Mm. she could not travel to Patna, which is a three hour flight. You know, Mm. they couldn't cross. There were no flights. You couldn't, you couldn't cross state borders. So my dad, thankfully being a doctor, you know, timely action was Mm -hmm. taken. He was healthy. But at that time, we, we went through this phase of helplessness Mm -hmm. and, you know, a a really, really bad feeling of just not being there for your parents. Mm. So, I mean, this trip uh, was, was very emotional at, you know, many different levels. Mm -hmm. And what was funny was in fact, was that, um, when we told our parents that, okay, we're finally coming to India, mm-hmm. we're finally coming, you know, we can visit you. Of mm-hmm. course, they were very happy. But my mm-hmm. mom's first question was, what would you like to eat? What should I eat? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that's, that's it. Great. That's, I mean, I mean, you said you, you, you have a little hint of me, but that yes. itself is everything about me. I, I am oh. all about food food and you know that question of hers it literally Mm. set the tone for our travel Mm. and we 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 traveled from Mumbai which is like a coastal city Mm. south of India we went all the way to Jammu and Kashmir which is the northernmost state which is Mm. where my in-laws are and it Mm. actually borders with China and it's so beautiful so eastern uh this is uh, uh, Jammu Kashmir is up north okay you know and um, it's so beautiful. It's actually compared to Switzerland. Oh, um, wow. It's the mountains, the Himalayas. Like, it's mm. it's amazing. Mm. And then my parents live in East India, which is in Bihar, which mm. is very close to Bengal, actually. And mm-hmm. then my husband's brother, he lives in Guwahati, which is further, further east in a state of Assam, which is close to Myanmar and Tibet. Wow. So, yeah. So our, our family was spread out everywhere. We traveled everywhere except we couldn't go and breathe, uh, meet my brother, my husband's brother. Mm. Uh, but other than that, yeah, we had family reunions. We saw oh. hundreds of relatives. Oh. We ate like oh. we were starving. <laughs> and so it was definitely an emotional trip, but it was like a gastronomic explosion. That's what I would call it. <laughs> That's amazing. And I love that that was your mom's first question. I'm looking at a map here of India, these different states oh. to, to see, um, so how long was this trip? We went for two weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah. We ate for two years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It wasn't, I mean, that's, that's how long my husband uh, could take off from work. Yes. Uh, okay. But it was, it was very packed. It was, it was not a relaxed holiday. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say because with family, it's always like that. But, and then of course we were very tired from all the eating, you know, mm-hmm. it takes, it takes a ton of strength yeah. to do that much. <laughs> well, so, there's a lot of digesting going on. It's yeah, exactly energy from the rest of your <laughs> systems. <laughs> so two weeks was, was really tops that our mm. body could take it. <laughs> yeah. And how is your dad's health? He is much better. He's all mm-hmm. um, healthy. He mm-hmm. had a surgery uh, right then. Mm-hmm. And so his food has changed a lot. Mom's cooking has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've lost a ton of weight, but wow. he's happy, healthy. He plays golf every single day wow. that he's been playing for the last 35 years. Wow. Um, yeah. So he's That's doing great. well. That's great. So when your mom, did your mom cook 
the new healthy dishes for you or the old, the old favorites? Oh no. Oh no. They were definitely <laughs> the old favorites. And, and dad loved it because he was, it was like, you know, his, his cheat day. Oh, that's <laughs> for great. a long time. Yes. That's great. Now, Indian food is naturally healthy in many ways. It's, it leans heavily on you know, um, legumes and vegetables. Is is this true? So mostly it was a matter of changing out oils or do you know how she made that change? Yes, absolutely. And you're so right to say that. I think the ingredients are very healthy. The mm. combination of ingredients is very healthy. And you know how a meal is put together in mm. India? I think that is also very healthy because you have a portion of carbohydrate, which is either your rice or roti. Mm. Then you have lentils, you know, some mm-hmm. kind of lentils. And then you always have a vegetable or mm-hmm. a meat or, you know, something, a third thing, which is your protein um, Mm-hmm. Uh, and fiber, you know. Yeah. It. So it's it's usually a very balanced meal. I feel like, of course, anyone can make anything unhealthy by yeah. you know <laughs> over frying, over yes. creaming, over sugaring, yeah, so, over salting also. Mm. So what mom did was take away those things. So she mm. took away a little bit of salt, most of the sugar, mm. a lot of refined food, and uh, she switched to like really like whole. Uh, you know, mostly everything whole grain, uh, you know, that kind mm. of a switch. She still makes everything. She just switches things out. So instead of cheese, she might do cauliflower on mm. a bake, you know. Mm-hmm. So she's made those switches. But yeah, wow. they. She, she's, a, she's a great cook. So she turns anything really into something tasty. So that's, that's complained a little bit. Yeah. has complained. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, she's, she's been able to control that. I think mom's the only one who can control that. So, mm-hmm. oh, she's the only one who could make him make that kind yes. of change. Convince yes. him to, yes. they, yes. they have a wonderful relationship. It sounds like. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I would say <laughs> once definitely the, my mom's, uh, my mom was a teacher for like 30 mm. years. So wow. she's definitely strict and very disciplined. And she's definitely a teacher in the house and a principal in the house as well. So mm-hmm. you can imagine dad, there's no choice. Like he has to listen to her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he's, yeah, he's a doctor. So outside of the house, he's telling his patients, perhaps his staff what to do, but inside the house, your mom rules. Exactly. Absolutely. That's that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, I'm sure he depends on her. Mm, Yes, he does. Yeah. Well, as long as we're talking about your mom, I want to, I want to skip down there and talk about your mom and her cooking a little bit more. And um, I actually, when you, when you submitted this recipe, so again, Mm -hmm. can you tell me how to pronounce this? Okay. So it's called Sarso Machli. Sarsu and muchly. Muchly. Okay. So sarsu means um, mustard. Oh, that's the uh-huh. Hindi name for mustard, and muchly is the Hindi name for fish. Okay. So sarsu muchly means uh, fish in mustard curry or fish in mustard. Okay. So when I read, thank you for that, <laughs> sarsu muchly. So when you, um, when I read your description, it really touched me. So I want to introduce people listening a little bit more to your mom by reading um, by reading to them what you wrote. So you wrote, Sarso Machli is my comfort food, my soul food, my ultimate food. My first memory of delicious food is from when I was three years old and it involves this fish curry. This recipe has everything to do with my mom. I still remember my first taste of this recipe was sitting on the living room carpet 
My mom had a tholi with this fish curry on steamed rice. She was taking out the bones from the fish pieces, mixing the fish with rice and feeding her two daughters with her hands. I thought that was such a tender, tender description of your mom. Um, and which is so interesting because now you're also describing her as someone who really runs a tight, <laughs> tight ship. So <laughs> that is true. <laughs> tell us a little bit more um, about her. First of all, thank you, Becky, for, you know, bringing back that memory. It's always mm. very emotional for me. Oh, well, to tell us about that then. That's, that's amazing that you remember something so specifically from three years old. That's young. It's crazy. My yeah. memory is crazy. Yes, it is. <laughs> I, I Sometimes my parents are amazed at the things that I actually remember. Mm-hmm. And out of like, there would be 10,000 other things that happened when I was three years old. I don't remember those, but I most definitely remember this one. And it's crazy because I remember that we used to live in Delhi. Mm-hmm. I also remember the time of the day. Really? It was around dusk. Wow. Uh, and I remember dad was at the hospital. He was seeing patients mm-hmm. and that I, I almost remember the carpet that we had. Um, really? We literally, we sat, we sat um, in the middle. It was like a triangle. We sat in a triangle, mm-hmm. mom at the head and the two daughters. I was three years old. My daughter, my uh, sister was seven years old. Mm-hmm. Um, she's four years older to me. And that's it. We just went like mom was just mixing the fish and the rice mm-hmm. and the, you know, and the curry. And in India, we eat with our hands. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. she, she just literally, she fed one daughter and then she fed the other daughter. Mm-hmm. And I, I can never forget that, you know. That's beautiful. Uh, That's beautiful. So no matter, I don't know. I, I think I've had this fish curry like maybe over a hundred times in my lifetime. Wow. But every time I take that first bite, it just takes me back to that house in Delhi, you know. Mm. That's amazing. It's, it's such yeah. yes, it is such a beautiful, um, it's such a beautiful image of the care and the tenderness of a mother for her daughters to feed them with her own hands. And she had made this dish before she fed you. Oh yeah. 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 This Mm. is a very traditional. It's, it's actually like a Sunday food, you know, everybody Mm. has something like for some folks, it's pizza for somebody it's pasta. And there's Mm. a special something that you associate with Sundays or Mm. a rainy day. And Mm -hmm. this is what it was for us. So we made it at least once a week, Mm. maybe once in two weeks. So it was, it was not something special, but mm-hmm. it was always special because mm-hmm. it tasted so damn good, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So, and also there are so many variations mm. of cooking uh, mustard and f- uh, of cooking fish in mustard curry. Mm. The one with radish, the recipe that I mentioned, yes. uh, you know, is, is one of them. And there are, my mom can make at least 15 different variations of it. And I'm sure other folks can make even more than that. There are over 20 of these, you know? So they're very like little subtleties can completely change the flavor. But mm. the thing is that the combination of that mustard paste and the fish mm-hmm. in it, it's just, I don't know what it is for me. For me, it's like, oh, I can eat it all day, every day. And mm-hmm. it will always take me back to that, you know, sitting on that carpet mm. in the living room, mom feeding us. It's just always like that for me. Mm, yes. What a beautiful, beautiful moment. I feel really touched by, by that. <laughs> mm, that's amazing. Mm. Um, 
Well, let, let me let me ask a little bit more about the dish then. You said there's so many different variations. Is mm-hmm. that based on, like you were explaining earlier, because India is such a diverse country when it comes to climate zones, which of course means agriculture. Um, it, does that define most of the differences? Or is it also, of course, just you, you cook with what's on hand and everyone has their own family recipe? Um, yeah, a little bit like that. So mm. um, one is ingredients. So you can mm-hmm. make this a similar curry with prawns, eggs, Mm. potato, pumpkin, eggplant, Mm. mutton. So you can have a vegetarian version, a vegan version. You can do Mm. a, you know, meat version, a fish version. Mm -hmm. You can also do a steamed version. So it's literally, um, you know, any of this, it's just steamed with that mustard paste and mustard Mm. oil. So the, the options are like, you know, a little bit different in the tempering. Mm -hmm. So for example, we, we use coriander seeds or, fenugreek seeds mm. and um, you could use f- fresh fenugreek leaves for tempering mm-hmm. as well you could yes. just use tomatoes so there are subtle differences mm-hmm. but also you could completely change the technique of cooking which is mm-hmm. steaming versus just boiling mm-hmm. and you could change switch out the ingredients based on your mm-hmm. you know your taste so yeah so yeah but the mm. key thing that defines this is the mustard-based sauce Hundred percent, and the, the mustard oil. One hundred percent. Yes. Yes, I I have never heard of mustard oil before. Ah, okay. And wow. so, yes, mm. this is very common for you. Is it common in Singapore as well? Do you find it easily there? We do find it easily because we have a ton of Indians here. However, yeah. in your defense, uh-huh. it, is, it is it is not. I mean, it's not a common ingredient in all of Indian cuisine. Like you mm. said, how diverse Indian Indian mm-hmm. India is, right? So mm-hmm. we have like 20, we have 28 states mm-hmm. and in each state, like even the languages are different. So every, mm-hmm. we have, I think, 22 official languages and mm-hmm. we have close to 20,000 dialects of languages, mm-hmm. like so much diversity that even my husband and I don't speak the same language. We really? come from different places. Yeah. The only common language between us is English and Hindi. But yeah. at home, his folks speak a different language, which I don't understand. And I speak another language, which he doesn't understand. Mm. So it comes down to the same thing with food. Mm-hmm. Literally every few hundred kilometers in India, yes. the food <laughs> changes a little bit. It changes a little bit. And yes. every state has a different cuisine. Mm. There is a little bit of overlap, but it's different, you know? So mm-hmm. mustard oil is a very, I would say, North or East okay. Indian cooking. But if okay. you go to South India, it's coconut oil or vegetable oil or canola oil or you know, yes. things like that. It's Mustard oil is very selective and not everybody uses it. But because this the place that I come from, grows a ton of mustard. Mm. It just becomes, you know, the oil of choice. Mm. So uh, mostly for most of the meats, mm-hmm. uh, especially in North India, they would definitely cook it in the very, you know, pungent, smoky kind of mm-hmm. mustard oil. It gives it, it gives it amazing flavor. So, so in your defense, not every <laughs> Indian also cooks with mustard oil. So, so I totally get it. Yeah. This is so interesting. So first of all, I wish I had thought ahead. I was just at an Indian market, um, on two days ago. Yeah. So that would have been Tuesday. And I I should have looked, I should have looked while I was there. Um, 
and seen it. And well, so first of all, just as a little aside, it's funny because I actually have an episode. It was one of my earliest episodes named Every 100 Kilometers in India because uh-huh. I, I, yeah, I had a guest named Pradeep on and he said, there's a saying, every 100 kilometers in India, the food, the language and the religion changes. And that's I thought, true. yes, I think that's uh, I, I amazing. I think that's amazing. Um, so I understand now definitely for sure what the mustard oil brings to a dish, Mm. like obviously so much, so much flavor in terms of cooking with it, high smoke point, low smoke point, like, is it touchy to work with, or is it pretty easy to work with? Like when I go to make this dish dish, I think it's, I think it's easy to work with, Mm. uh, or maybe because I've seen it and I've worked (laughs) with it as a child. I would say, um, you know, I I would say it's easy. You just Mm. have to heat it up well and it kind of gets a mm. little bit frothy when it's oh. when it's um heating up oh. and you don't make it smoke too much mm. you just you just allow it to come to a good temperature a, mm-hmm. a good hot temperature and then that's it just cook like your normal oil okay it's, it's actually not too bad at all it's just the foamy part can throw you off sometimes mm. but other than that no okay good. That's good to know because I think I would freak out a little bit. <laughs> My mustard started getting frothy if you hadn't told me. And probably oh, I would probably end up turning it down too low and it wouldn't cook properly. I, so yes, yes. I'm glad you said that. Okay. Well, as long as we're staying on this, on uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about me making this recipe. Um mm. I, you know, I have to do justice <laughs> to this precious, <laughs> precious, precious. Recipe. I'm so sorry. I, I couldn't no. think of anything else. I was like, I, oh. what should I, you know, what should I, what should I share? And I felt like there was nothing yes. stronger for me. <laughs> yes. Do not be sorry. I love, love working with new ingredients, learning new methods. Um, this is the idea. This is the heartbeat of this podcast. It's a thank you. For, <laughs> thank you for amazing, this recipe. Amazing. <laughs> no, I love it. Um, yes, because the thing is, then I get to incorporate these things into my pantry and some of them really, you know, take over as something that we use frequently. So yeah, um, yeah you specifically said to avoid using tuna. So why is this and what fish, what fish would you use? Mm. So this is typically made with freshwater fish, mm. uh, not sea, not, mm. uh, not the sea fish, okay. uh, which is how we always had it. But I have lived outside India for way too long and I've mm. had to work with a ton of different fishes to make it taste somewhat similar mm-hmm. because um, I'm, I'm honestly, I've never used tuna. But just knowing the structure of tuna and the taste of tuna, mm-hmm. I have a feeling that it's not going to complement the mustard. You know oh, how okay. how you have, you know, actually thinking mm-hmm. about fish and the combination of fish and mustard, it's actually universal. So, mm. you know how you have salmon with mustard. That's mm-hmm. a combination. Yes. Which is why salmon works beautifully in this curry. Mm. And it's a more robust fish. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel that tuna is so is so powerful itself mm-hmm. that mm. it may not soak up all the goodness of the curry and you know really have flavor mm-hmm. all the way through it. Okay. So I've never tried tuna, but the other fish that works very nice uh, nicely is sea bass. Oh, it is okay. actually the closest to a freshwater fish that, you know, the way we make it. Sea bass is a very delicate fish. I don't know. Have you worked with sea bass? Never. Mm-mm. Mm. It's very, it's, it's very delicate. It's mm-hmm. a white fish, mm-hmm. uh, but 
you have to like kind of just semi fry it so that it 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 holds together oh, okay. and then slowly release it in the curry so okay. i feel like salmon and sea bass have definitely uh, are winners for me after trying many different fishes <laughs> okay this is good to know this is good to know yeah and you have access to so many fish there in singapore mm. True, true, true. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about uh, the. <laughs> you mentioned your mom picking the bones out one by one. Do you now make this with um, fish that's already been kind of um, like I salmon? The way we mm-hmm. we buy it here in the U.S. I mean, it's pretty uh, it's <laughs> processed. Fillet, yes, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. So, is this? Um, at, did you make it with? Whole you fish can make or? it with either you can mm. not a whole fish for mm. sure. You want the pieces because you want the curry to get into it. Mm. So you definitely want like a a, a piece. Mm. Uh, when I cook with salmon, it's basically fillet mm-hmm. and it barely has any bones in it. But mm-hmm. I usually get a full sea bass and I get it cut at the at the fish market. Mm. So I cut it, get it cut in steak you know, mm-hmm. as steak pieces, it mm-hmm. still has all the bones and everything in it, including the fish head, including mm-hmm. the tail, we eat mm-hmm. all of it. So mm-hmm. is that, you know, the, so, is that like the lucky piece or like in people in your family, are they, yay, I got the head or is it, well, I guess this is my, my lot. I'll take it. You know, you either hate it or leave it. Yeah. I mean, hate it or love it or hate it. And I actually love it. And Do my sister you? hates it. So it works out great. Okay. Um, you know, so uh, head, Actually, a fish head is supposed to be a very, you know, it's full of fish oils, I think. Uh uh So they say that children who eat fish head turn Mm -hmm. out to be very intelligent. And by Mm -hmm. experience, I can definitely vouch for it because I always (laughs) ate the fish head. (laughs) Well, it makes sense. I mean, the brain is the fatty. Our brains Mm -hmm. are almost all fat, you know, Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. So I could easily see that being the case for sure. And like you said, obviously. Yes, yes. Obviously. I use that against my sister all the time. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, going back to okay. your question, I guess fillet of salmon or mm-hmm. something, uh, a delicate fish cut in steak uh, pieces, either should work for you. Yeah. And you just accept the fact that the bones are in there. I like that. Yeah. I, I think what I like is that it didn't seem... Um, I don't know. There's something about this idea, like the farther we get away from our food, the less Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not maybe not physically healthy, but like emotionally or psychologically healthy, I guess it is in some ways. And um, I kind of like the fact that it's just like, well, you know, there's bones and fish. So you pick them out. That's what it is. You know, there's tails on shrimp. (laughs) Actually, in in Indian uh, cooking, Becky, Mm. we almost never take out the fish bones. It's Mm -hmm. just, we just get it cut like that. And similarly for Mm -hmm. meat, you know, if we are cooking mutton, Mm -hmm. I particularly go and buy meat with bone. Mm. Like I, 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 and we eat goat meat a lot Mm -hmm. more than lamb. Mm. So I will go and buy meat on the bone because Mm -hmm. it is also more tender. So Mm. I've also noticed that, that if you just cook it with a fillet of salmon, it Mm -hmm. could dry out if you overcook it. Mm. But when you have fish with bone, it -hmm. retains a little bit of that juiciness inside Mm. a little bit more. Mm -hmm. This is, this is such a good point. Yeah. And I think also there's um, marrow in the bones that leach Mm. out into the sauces, which are really quite healthy as well. True, true, true. Mm. Absolutely. How about the skin? 
yes, we keep the skin on and we crisp it up a little bit. And once it goes into the curry, it also soaks up all the flavor. Oh my God. So the other, yeah, my sister hated it. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, great for the skin. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yours. Talk about and- full of oil. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yo! Oh, great for our skin. Oh. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but yeah, we keep it on. I I don't remove except for scales and cleaning up the inside of the fish. I honestly mm-hmm. don't remove anything. Um, yeah, I don't mm. know. Okay. Oh, I'm learning so much. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> learning so much. Um, radishes. I mm. think. I mean, radishes are like a springtime, cool weather um, crop here. Is this, we're talking about the same radishes? Yes, yes. Mm. So we, so yeah, radish is definitely a winter crop, a Mm. cold weather vegetable, uh, even in India, Mm -hmm. which is why I think, you know, um, we have so many variations of the mustard curry because sometimes you do have radish mm-hmm. in season and sometimes you don't. So you just make it another way. I, I, I live in Singapore and mm-hmm. we get everything here all seasons because when, because, you know, Austra- most of our produce comes from Malaysia, Australia. Mm-hmm. And so when the world is going through summer, Australia mm-hmm. is going through winter. Yes. And mm-hmm. when, <laughs> and it's the opposite. So yeah. we get everything all year round. So I, I have actually lost, I have lost track of what's seasonal and what's not, to be yes. honest, which is mm-hmm. not good. Yes. Which is not mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if you have had trouble finding radish or no, I wouldn't. Available. No, I wouldn't have trouble finding them. It's just, I, I mean, I think really I'm commenting on it because it was one of those moments where you sort of acknowledge your own ignorance, right? Like I just didn't think of that as a type of food that I would find in India, you know? So I think it's just Ah. like, oh, this is a good, this is a good, again, reminder to me of how diverse the climate zones and um, well, everything, like we said, every hundred kilometers, right? (laughs) So Mm, exactly. uh, (laughs) I think, I think, um, yeah, it only stood out to me because like I said, of my ignorance. Also, sometimes there are, um, I'm trying to think of a really good example and I can't off the top of my head, but sometimes there's like, I'm saying, I'm saying a word and a guest is saying a word, but we're not actually talking about the same uh, vegetable. Like that has happened in the past, you know? Um, Ah. So, yeah, but it sounds like we're talking about the same thing. And I am, I have never, I don't think put radish with mustard, but we're talking about two very similar flavors in a way, something very Mm. sharp. Exactly. Um, yep. Mm, you got it. Absolutely mm, right. That's okay. exactly why they go so well together. And it's amazing how radish is so sharp when you eat it raw. Mm. But once it goes into the mm. curry, it it's amazing in texture. It's mm. not very crunchy. It's mm. also not mushy, soft, but it soaks up that mustardy flavor mm. and it it's not as sharp anymore. Mm, yes. <laughs> it's so balanced. I don't know how and what kind of a chemical reaction happens in there, mm. but it's definitely uh, much easier to eat and it adds so much to that curry. Oh, mm. God. Yeah. Well, the sharpness probably seeps into mm-hmm. the sauce, the curry itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You said, yeah, yeah. You said the biggest mistake someone can make is that the mustard is not ground finely enough. Yes, kind of cool. Um, I did an episode where um, a guest 
taught us how to make uh, chai masala. And so for that reason, I got a spice blender. <laughs> so are we talking more about <laughs> using a spice blender or like a um, a regular blender? How, what are your, what are your, I don't want to make the number one mistake. So <laughs> tell me how to avoid it. So does your spice blender allow you to do wet mixing? I can't, I, I would be uncomfortable doing that. Yeah. 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 So I, I think most, most spice blenders are not for wet mixing. Mm. So this one is definitely wet mixing. Mm-hmm. I use my regular Kenwood blender. I don't, mm-hmm. honestly, I don't have any fancy appliances or I don't have anything special for my cooking. Mm-hmm. It takes me maybe a little bit more time, a little bit more effort, mm-hmm. but um, I just use my regular blender. Mm-hmm. And what you need to do is not give up. You cannot give up. (laughs) So you have to just blend. So just pulse a little bit and then Mm. blend a little bit. Just make sure that you don't add too much water or too little water. Mm -hmm. Um, That is, that is a problem. So just keep it like, you know how avocado have, when you blend avocado, Mm -hmm. And you look down into the blender mm-hmm. and you see the pulpy kind of, you know, mm-hmm. the kind of uh, feel. It's almost like that. Hmm. And the yellow mustard seeds, they turn white. Yeah. That is an indication that it has been done properly. If they mm-hmm. are still looking yellowish, mm-hmm. that means they can go further, just little by little and keep mixing them up, mm-hmm. you know, taking the bottom or something mm-hmm. on the sides, just mix it up, just keep going. And it might take you a little bit more time in the regular blender, but it will happen. It'll get so, there. Okay. Yes. Look for the white color. The moment it begins to turn whitish, you know that you're, you're doing well. You're doing Okay. Well. So yeah. is the resulting sauce itself actually white or is it is it, does it turn back yellow when it cooks? It's the turmeric. So the oh, turmeric, the turmeric makes it yellow. Yeah. Yes, yes. Got it. Yes. I was mm. like, wait a second. I've seen this picture. Okay. Got <laughs> it. That, of course, of course, of course. Okay. And then when, when I'm assembling it, you know, um, well, I guess you cook it all together, but what's the, um, what's the ratio? Like, are we talking about this fish is really almost swimming in a curry or is it kind of, you know what I'm saying? Is there a little sauce yeah, on top? Yeah. And tell me, I, I, it's a related question, the ideal consistency of the sauce. Um, like how drippy is it, I guess, Okay. of the curry? So, I shouldn't say sauce, of the curry. Mm, so it's definitely swimming in curry. Mm, mm-hmm. It's not just sauce that you put on top. So imagine that you've got all this rice and you have to mix it up with that curry. Mm. So you have to have enough of it. Mm-hmm. But the key here again is when you're making the curry, you're adding all that water. There is, you know, the mustard paste that has been cooking in the tomatoes and the turmeric powder. And then you put in the water. Mm-hmm. You have to allow it to boil, boil enough. And you'll you'll not you'll yourself notice the texture of the curry begins to change. It'll get thicker. Mm-hmm. And it's not like thick, thick like soup. Mm. It's actually got a very lush kind of a texture. Mm. It's not watery. It Mm. is not like you can see ingredients separate. Mm -hmm. They look homogenous. You Mm -hmm. know, when you, when you pick up a spoon and you pour it, it's actually got a bit of volume to it, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it's not drippy or it's not thick enough to be called a sauce. So I guess it's a balance in between. Mm -hmm. And, and also 
I find like Indian food is a little bit forgiving that mm. way. Like if yeah. you like it watery, just keep it like that, man. Mm. <laughs> if you like it saucy and you like it thick, then just go that route. But mm. yeah, typically if you ask, it's mm. it's between the watery and the saucy. Okay. I got it. Mm. Okay. I think you've prepared me well. I'm going to give it my best <laughs> shot. And I know, I know, like you said, the dish, and I'm sure yourself will be forgiving too, <laughs> depending oh. on my results. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited to try it. So, um, well, going back to your, to your story, your life, did you, um, you remember your mom making this for you, you first eating it. And this, like uh, you said, dusk, I'm imagining this golden light, you know, shining through the windows. Mm-hmm. How about cooking it? Did your mom do all the cooking in your home? Um, and then did she teach you, like, were you interested in cooking when you were younger or just eating? <laughs> <laughs> I was did, definitely, Oh, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go for it. I was definitely interested in eating. I remember I was a year old or two and we had uncles and aunts and every time they came home I was eating and they had nicknamed me around food because every time they entered the house I had food in my mouth I was wow. always holding something I was always eating so I was I it, mm. I have this eternal connection with food for mm. sure mm. Um, but my mom actually she if it was not for my mom I would have never been a food photographer hmm. she she's like Obviously, she was amazing, mm-hmm. not just in cooking, but she could cook different cuisines of the world. Like mm. she, and I'm talking about a time in India where there was hardly any internet. There was no Google. We mm-hmm. knew of countries, but we didn't know of cuisines, you know. Mm-hmm. And the only way that you can you could find out about a certain cuisine was through a cookbook, through a recipe wow. book. She had a whole collection of those and she loved cooking so much that she would read. Mm -hmm. And she introduced us like as, you know, I was what, not even 10 years old and we used to eat crepes for dinner and she would make risotto for us. And she got one party, she served a baked Alaska and, you know, she like, she would do all this fancy cooking. And later, many years later, I told my husband, you know, mom used to make all of this. And he had never even heard of them. So we were not the average Indian family. Mom really, really introduced us to a lot of world cuisine. So she gave us a very good palate. And your mom wasn't just sitting. I mean, she didn't, she was teaching all day. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my God. My mom was like super mom. Oh goodness. She was teaching all day and she did everything around the house. Like she was, she's a rock star. I, I'm wow. pretty sure everybody thinks like that about their moms. And my mom was no exception. She could do 10 things like at one time. Uh, wow. Multitasking was one of her these things, but she was also multi-talented. Mm. She was ex- she was a history teacher. So, mm. you know, she, she was in school most of the day. Mm-hmm. She would get up at four o'clock in the morning mm. to make lunch before she left for school. And mm. I know in the US, four o'clock is not that unheard of. Uh, but in India, it most definitely is. It's early for me. Let me tell you that. <laughs> six o'clock is my alarm. <laughs> and I feel insulted at 6 a.m. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, she would just wake up at four o'clock. She would cook the entire lunch. And that was 
dal and rice and vegetables and you know um and dad always wanted one more thing so she mm. would have four things cooked at four o'clock in the morning and then she would leave from sc- for school come back heat up the food everything would be ready she used to do that and so obviously her love for cooking was one thing and then she was a prolific writer she used to mm. write like amazingly and then in the afternoon she would she had a scooter she would put her helmet on and ride uh, you know in the scorching heat she would go and pay bills and collect deliveries and go Amazing. run chores and you know on the weekend she would take a street shopping so wow. she was just incredible wow i'm <laughs> but yeah i'm starting to understand where your energy comes from <laughs> <laughs> No, but she did. I think she was also a wonderful and an amazing baker. Mm. So when I was about, I think I was five years old. Okay, I'm not hundred percent sure there, but maybe I was five years old, and she taught me how to bake a vanilla cake. Wow! So she that was my first experience of really cooking or baking or just being in the kitchen mm. in that in you know. Um, just doing everything on my own and not just sitting there and watching food and waiting, you know, and waiting for it to be done. She taught me. Yeah. So she, she, she taught me how to bake. And from there on, I think no one else was actually allowed to cook in the house because dad was unanimously voted as the one person who will never be allowed to enter the kitchen. <laughs> but I used to still, my sister was a less, a little less interested. Mm-hmm. I loved cooking and I would take all these recipes from mom. Mm-hmm. I would try to cook them up and then I would butcher them because I could not stick to a recipe. I just wanted to maybe a little bit here, maybe a little bit oh, there. Oh, you know, I relate to that. that. Yes. Oh gosh. My mom would be so few she's like no that's not the way you do it you know <laughs> that's so, so funny. yeah but that's i have so to funny. i have to share something with you yes I know you're loving Dutima's story just as much as I did. So I just want to take a really short moment uh, for two things. First, thank you so much to those of you who left a review after last week's episode. I got such a big smile on my face every time I got a notification in my email that someone had left a new review. And if we can keep up that momentum, it would be wonderful. It means so much to me personally. It helps the podcast. It allows me to keep sharing stories like the ones that I share every week. If you're not sure how to leave a review in your player, that is perfectly fine. All you need to do is go to the show notes, scroll down to where it says leave a review, and you will find a link right there. If you just click that link, it'll give you all the options um, on your phone. It'll automatically know exactly what options you have for leaving a review on the podcast, depending on what player you're listening to, what type of device you have, all of those things. It'll automatically figure that out, and you can easily just click a link and leave a review. Also, one more thing you can do if you are enjoying this episode, would you please forward it to a friend, a family member, anyone you think that would be interested in it? Again, that is the best way to grow this podcast and to enable me to keep sharing these stories that we all love so much. Thank you. And here is Dutima again. Since you talked about... um you know, mom and introduction mm-hmm. to food. Mm-hmm. You know, when we lived in Delhi, mm-hmm. dad was dad was very busy. He he's a neurologist. So mm-hmm. at that time he was studying, getting his super specialization. So he mm-hmm. was out a lot. Mm-hmm. And we saw a lot more of mom. Mm-hmm. And 
on especially on weekends mom used to take us to street shopping and mm. you know all the fun stuff mm. so one i still remember one weekend we were out street shopping and then i don't know if you've heard of connaught place but that no. is like a signature uh, you know from the old british era it's one of mm. the older shopping areas of delhi it's beautiful mm. we were shopping okay. there and then we stopped for lunch okay and mom took us to this fast food restaurant it was called wimpies <laughs> wimpies wimpies okay and it was novelty at that time in india having a fast food restaurant it was like the grandfather mm. of mcdonalds mm. so it came 20 years before mcdonalds in india okay. you know so wimpies was i don't even know whether it was an indian <laughs> brand or not okay. but it was very similar to mcdonalds uh-huh. it was a burger chain pizza chain just fast food yeah and so we went to wimpies it was our first time at wimpies we were so <laughs> excited we're sitting there then a tray arrives and there are these little burgers on it uh-huh. and then there was this pile of cabbage and it really? it looked strange and i was like okay i'm just going to you know take a bite let's see how uh-huh. it is so i took a bite and it was really nice and i looked up and you know i i looked at mom and i said mom what is this uh-huh. and you know in that that she had this look on her face you know like uh-huh. yes ask me i'm the guru you know <laughs> so she just looked at me and she's like that is called coleslaw oh <laughs> so that was my introduction to coleslaw i'd never eaten coleslaw in my life so she really and she knew she it she really like, did know yeah i don't know when she went to wimpies i don't know when wow. she had coleslaw in her life but she knew everything about international foods that is and amazing. so yeah it's a, this is the childhood like i had around food you know mm. all all thanks to mom really mm. <laughs> yes and so much more now did you all you you you've said a couple times when i lived in delhi did mm. you travel a lot as a family or, or did you move a lot as a family which i guess is a separate question to did you travel a lot as a family we did both mm. and that is because my dad was in the indian army mm. and we had to actually move every 3 years mm. so we were posted in many different parts of india we were wow. literally we moved um about eight cities wow. throughout yeah and we lived in delhi for a long time we had two postings in delhi so i spent a long time over you know 3 years mm-hmm. in one a uh, tenure and four years in another tenure so mm-hmm. we spent a long time in delhi and then later after i finished my architecture i again went back and i was living in delhi for a while so okay. i guess i'm very familiar with delhi and we spent a large chunk of time there but we traveled a lot like mm-hmm. for example jammu kashmir which is where mm-hmm. i met my husband okay. is where i went to middle school that's wow. where my dad was posted Wow. So we lived there for 3 years and then we moved to many many other cities. So we moved a lot and we traveled a lot both. Wow. Okay. So just thinking on how amazing your mom was. Well, first of all, she probably um if she knew international cuisine that well, she probably knew the cuisines of India mm, like the back of our hand like she was very um fluid, fluent, I guess. She was very fluent in the different um regional cuisines. 
She was, she was. And she's the one, like even today, if you talk to her about Indian food, she will, Mm -hmm. because she's a history teacher, right? So she Mm -hmm. will not just tell you about the food. She will tell you about the history of food. Mm -hmm. So if you eat biryani with her, which is Mm -hmm. a meat and rice dish, she will Mm -hmm. tell you exactly how the Nawabs made the biryani. So (laughs) she always has a history lesson and sometimes we like it. Sometimes we don't. Oh, wow. I I think I need to have your mom on the podcast. (laughs) That would be extraordinary to learn the history of so many of these famous foods. That's amazing. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm assuming she didn't have, um, access to a lot of like, you guys never lived in a multi-generational home or with, um, in-laws or anything like that. She was always really, um, on her own without a lot of support doing all these things. That's right. We always, we were always um, by ourselves, like Mm -hmm. uh, we had a nuclear family and that's also because we moved a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And my grandparents, my aunts, uncles, they were mostly in Bihar, which is where I'm from the state. Mm. So yeah, she didn't have much help. And, but what she did have is her mother (laughs) in the sense that even my mom's mom, my grandmother Mm -hmm. is a fantastic cook. Like she would Mm -hmm. make her own puff pastries and she would do everything from scratch herself at Mm -hmm. that time, you know, in the Mm fifties. So uh, mom learned a lot from her about cooking. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how she got interested, but mom just took it to another level, I Mm -hmm. guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is Delhi the place that feels most at home or does this other place you just mentioned feel like feel like home? I think now um, at one point, Delhi felt like home. Delhi Mm -hmm. is definitely familiar territory for me, Mm -hmm. but because my dad was in the army, we never lived in our hometown. Mm-hmm. We we were always traveling, always in other parts of India. Mm-hmm. So when my dad uh, took retirement from the army and he wanted to set up his own practice, his own mm-hmm. neurology clinic, he chose to go back to our hometown so he could be close to aunts, uncles, relatives, mother, mm-hmm. father, you know, all of that. So mm-hmm. he just wanted to be close to the people he had missed being around. So yes. um, they've been there 20 years now and I go back a lot more than I ever did in my life. So for Mm -hmm. the last 20 years, I've gone back to my hometown a lot. And so I would say that feels like home to me more than Delhi now. I see. And what, what is that? What's the name of that town? So I come from a state called Bihar Bihar. and my hometown is called Patna, P-A-T-N-A. And it has such a rich history, really. Mm -hmm. Like it has, it had a huge part to play in Indian history, mm. um, you know, so it's very rich culturally. Mm. Yeah. Do, do you want to give us a, a, a synopsis, a summary of that, of that <laughs> critical history? <laughs> okay. I will try not to be like mom, but I will, <laughs> I will, I will, <laughs> I will say as much as I know about the history mm. and mm-hmm. basically uh, Patna, um, mm-hmm. it was the, it was where one of the first empires of India was Mm. was set up and at that time it was the Mauryan Empire Mm. and Patliputra which is the old name for Patna Patliputra is what it was called and that was the capital of that empire and Mm -hmm. that empire was set up by Chandragupta Maurya he has a lot of um, uh, mention in Indian history Mm. and later on Ashoka who is one of the most famous rulers of India, mm-hmm. he went on to take over the Mauryan Empire. So it all started from Patna. Patliputra was the wow. capital. And of course, Patna is on the 
banks of river ganges which mm-hmm. has a huge religious significance in right. the hindu culture uh, also patna was uh, one of the first cantonments where the british set up in india mm-hmm. and so the architecture is very influenced by that so i love that you know it's like a business hub it's a health center for the region it's mm-hmm. also got a ton of educational uh, ha- uh you know schools and colleges some set up during the british era so it has mm-hmm. all of that but there are streets where you walk and you feel like you've traveled back in time and you're back ancient. into the mm-hmm. yes it's the british era the victorian style it's just amazing so i i just love that contrast that i mm-hmm. get there i always feel like i've traveled back in time so mm-hmm. yeah so patna is it's it's rich in in yeah in a lot of ways so special so special i'm thinking as you were telling about that i was thinking about your mom being a history teacher and mm. here in <laughs> here in the us <laughs> we go back like i mean maybe 400 years to jamestown you know what i mean but your mom yeah, she yeah. teaches history wow she's going back millennia 300 BC or earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> amazing. All the more amazing. All the more amazing. So fill, fill us in a little bit. Um, I feel like you've talked a little bit about how, um, I mean, your mom made your childhood almost idyllic. I'm sure it had its own problems in many ways because everyone's does. And there were things that were difficult, but there were things that she made so beautiful about your childhood. Um, what Tell us about the um, university architecture, meeting your husband, traveling, settling in Singapore. How? What order did all of that happen in? How did that? How did that go? And then we'll tackle switching to food photography. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, that's okay. Mm. So, I mean. Contrary to what you would think, so I met my husband first. <laughs> oh, okay. In the sense that we met when we were nine years old. Oh, so did you? Aww. We did. That is when my dad was posted in Jammu Kashmir, which was mm. his um, state. His in his hometown, there was a huge army base, and my dad was posted there for three years. And that's he was my classmate. So <laughs> yes, you said you went to middle school together. <laughs> yes, we did. We met in sixth grade. So Amazing. yeah, we we met each other way before we knew where we would be in life. Mm. <laughs> and uh, but we we always were in separate cities. We lost contact for many many years. We got back in contact through common friends, but we. We never even even once we got back in touch, which was um, after finishing my undergrad or during my undergrad days in oh, architecture. Wow. Mm-hmm. We uh, always lived in different continents. Wow. So I I did my undergrad from India mm-hmm. in architecture, and then I moved to the US to do my masters. Okay. And he was at that time he was working with a business school in Paris, and wow. so he was in France. Wow. And then he moved to Singapore. So we were always shuttling and, you know, just shuffling between continents. Yes. We were always in a long distance. But So this um, was always a special relationship, even from the time that you were schoolmates. That's right. It was always Aww. testing us. <laughs> and it was testing our internet connection. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, what stood out to you as a nine-year-old boy? What stood out to you about your husband? Well, he was 
very biased towards me and i loved it so oh. he, no he's he's a, he's a great guy and he's mm. he's really one of he's he's very intelligent so he's almost never come second in his life kind of a guy but he's so grounded and if you mm-hmm. meet him he's just he's just out there to help everybody mm-hmm. like he does not need anything in return and i'm like mm-hmm. you are not mahatma gandhi mm-hmm. you know and <laughs> he's just that kind of a person and mm. we are i think yin and yang mm. so my high energy and his calmness mm-hmm. they kind of complement each other and mm-hmm. he was just he i don't know this just i guess love is blind <laughs> that's oh. what it is <laughs> oh well you sounds like you're both yeah it sounds like you were kind of made for each other honestly and it sounds like there's a lot to love about him and obviously all of us listening can tell there's so much to love about you so that's a wonderful story i absolutely i absolutely love that that's wonderful oh. hmm. thanks Becky. thanks well when so you were, go ahead hmm. So, I'll, so my architecture was actually quite, um, quite uh, accidental. Mm. My getting into architecture was just by chance. Mm-hmm. It was not like I was an artist. It was not like I was creative. It was hmm. not like that. I wanted to be an architect my whole life. I actually, you know how you're seventeen and you either know exactly what you want, mm-hmm. or you or have you no know, idea, or, or you have mm-hmm. no idea. So I was mm-hmm. one of those children. I had mm-hmm. no idea. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, again, it was at a time where careers were limited. There were mm-hmm. the choices were limited. Like if somebody said that you could be an influencer, I mean, that was not <laughs> even <laughs> exist in that time. You know, it was so so off to even think about something like that. Mm-hmm. So there were only certain options available. And do you mean in general or do you mean for women? I would say in India oh, okay. um, mm-hmm. and not just, I mean, I can't say for other countries, mm-hmm. but I would say that in India, mm-hmm. all Indian parents look for something that's lucrative, but mm-hmm. very stable mm-hmm. for the children. And yeah. they have a huge role to play in decision-making. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like the child will figure it out themselves and they will make their own decisions. It was mm-hmm. not like that. The, the parents really guided us through. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes for good, sometimes for worse. But mm-hmm. I mean, at 17, honestly, I feel like I was definitely not ready to take such a big decision of my life and, Mm. and live with it my whole life, you know, Mm -hmm. without swaying anywhere. So Mm -hmm. uh, at that time I wanted to be a veterinary doctor because I loved animals and it just, it just did not fall in place. Like, first Mm -hmm. of all, my dad was a neurologist and he was like, maybe you should be a neurologist. Right, of course. (laughs) (laughs) So it was not for me. And engineering Mm. was definitely not for me. For someone Mm. who can't add two and 10 together, (laughs) engineering was not for me. And so architecture just kind of, we had a friend who went into architecture school and it seemed like a very good balance of creativity mm-hmm. and science. Mm-hmm. And also because I got through the, I got, I got a good score in the entrance exam mm-hmm. and I made it to one of the top colleges in the country. Wow. So I was like, Oh, all right, fine. Done. Dean. Wow. You know, I don't have to sit for any more I think exams. you can probably add pretty well if you got into one of the finest yeah. colleges in the country. <laughs> <laughs> Maths was not my strength, Becky. Mm. It wasn't. But I was very lucky to get into that college because mm. I'm not sure. Have you heard of French architect Le Corbusier? Uh, oh, yes. Yes. Corbusier. So, yes, yes, I have. Mm-hmm. So Corbusier designed our college and Corbusier yeah. designed our city. So I, I studied wow. in Chandigarh 
which is uh, which was completely designed by Corbusier. So I was literally in the mecca of architecture. Wow! And, um, I learned a lot, and from there, I think my interest in healthcare was always there. Mm-hmm. I went on to. Uh, one of the best schools in the U.S. You're, oh, I don't want people to miss that. You're saying your interest in healthcare. Healthcare that mm. came from my childhood of mm. walking hospitals with my dad. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's amazing how things shape. You know, our, our childhood experiences shape mm-hmm. who we become. And people hated healthcare architecture. No one wanted to design hospitals. Yeah. And I was like, me, 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 pick me, pick me. You know, interesting, so. <laughs> interesting. And is that because um, you? F- I'm guessing, but maybe I'm wrong, that there was like, that was driven by um, a desire to make a hospital more functional. You felt like if you designed it well, it could be more functional or was it a creative thing? There was something about the challenge of it that drew you creatively. I think, um, oh, I, yeah, it came. Yeah, it came. um, I think it came from my understanding of how hospitals ran and functioned, Mm -hmm. which is very difficult. It is not something everyone gets. The logistics are crazy. The the Mm -hmm. kind of planning that goes into constructing a hospital is crazy. And if you've not been there yourself, I think most people struggled with it and they found it a bit dry. But Mm -hmm. for me, it was intuitive. I could tell you exactly how an operating theater had to be done. I knew exactly where the scrubs had to be. I knew exactly how the doctor had to go. I wow. knew all of those things because I had been in hospitals my whole life, you know, going for ICU rounds with my father when I was little mm. or, you know, just we at one point we even lived in one of one of the wards when we didn't have accommodation in a city. Like mm. I was always in a healthcare environment and it was very comfortable for me. So it was probably the most intuitive thing for me. And I realized that as an architect, I actually had the opportunity to create a healing space, a healing space, you know, incredible. And how amazing, by the way, that your dad brought you along on all of this. Yeah. I mean, yeah. at that time it was like, mom was like, somebody take one child, I'll take care of the other one. So dad wow. would <laughs> pick me and take me to the hospital. But wow. yeah, it, it shaped, it shaped everything. Like my wow. entire 15 years in architecture, studying, uh, designing, it was all healthcare. That was my love for it. And Incredible. I actually went to the U.S., only Mm -hmm. to get a specialization in healthcare architecture. I applied to three schools, only Mm -hmm. three. And I said, I will not take anything else because Mm -hmm. this is what I want to do. And I will not do anything else. And I got into my, you know, my, my favorite one. (laughs) What was that? Texas A&M. Wow. So they have a strong healthcare architecture program. They had the best healthcare program in the country. Yeah. So I did a mm. master's in architecture and I got an additional degree in designing healthcare space, uh, healthcare facilities. So wow. um, it was, it was amazing that that really changed everything for me. Actually, that put a seed idea in my head, you know, something that mm. I feel that I learned so much from the American culture. What's and that? I, so I was in the master's program. Mm-hmm. I was 20 four years old. Mm. My classmate was this guy who was, I think, 20 years old. And he used to be a history major Mm. who had changed 
majors and suddenly he wanted to be an architect so he was in he was doing his masters and my other classmate was his grandmother who wow. was 70 years old and wow. she wanted to do a masters in architecture and wow. i thought that i have never looked at life this way mm. i never knew that you could change your decision Mm. That you could do something else after doing something else. I had mm. no, I didn't think it was an option we had in life, honestly. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that, I was blown away. I I was like, wow, it suddenly opened. It just opened something for me. It's not like I mm. changed or I switched careers right immediately. Then. Mm-hmm. It was yeah, a little seed but, that was planted that much later. Yeah, it, it, I, I appreciated that so much, you know, about the culture. I, I that was uh, that that again impacted me in a very very big mm. way. So mm. I guess that I guess that showed up a few years later. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> so yes. So. Where did healthcare design take you around the world? And then when did you switch to food photography? It is a massive switch. It is. It's crazy. Mm. So healthcare design was my life. You know Mm -hmm. how people get up in the morning and read the newspaper? Mm -hmm. I used to read the healthcare news. Wow. Uh, Yeah, I was was addicted. I was insane. I Were you married at the time? I was not. I was not. Mm. So at that time, my boyfriend was in Singapore while I was doing my master's Mm. in Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, And while I was doing my master's, apart from the master's program, I also received a couple of fellowships. Mm. So this was all in addition to the coursework. So I actually went and I researched cancer treatments. And I traveled the world. I got a grant. I traveled to Japan. I traveled to Germany to Mm. study that treatment Mm. so that I could come back and I could design the first prototype in the United States. Like that, that was my craziness Mm. (laughs) for healthcare. The first Mm. prototype to treat, to treat in in what way? So it was, uh, you know, you've heard of proton therapy, right? Mm, yes. So this was the next level. This was carbon therapy. Oh. And there were very few countries in the world. It was a very expensive treatment. There were very few mm. countries in the world who were uh, working actually from nuclear facilities mm. and they were testing it out. And so I traveled and I worked with nuclear physicists to understand what's the machinery, what's the equipment, mm. what does it take? Mm-hmm. How do we design it? What's going to go in it? Mm. And so I traveled to different countries through that fellowship. Mm. Um, and then I came back and I submitted a design for, I, uh, you know, MD Anderson Cancer Center mm. in Texas. So um, they are one of the largest cancer centers in the States, I think. So wow. I did like a prototype design for them, which was part of the fellowship, you know, but mm-hmm. uh it took me like it took my craziness to another level. Wow. I <laughs> I I worked in Virginia mm. um, in a healthcare architecture firm. Mm, and we were then, neighbors. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I loved it. Oh, mm, Virginia is beautiful. Mm. It's too beautiful. I loved mm. it. Um, and then my husband, my boyfriend and I Mm. decided to get married finally. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I did not want an online wedding. I did Mm -hmm. not want cyber children. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) we, so I decided to move to Singapore. Wow. Uh, So I moved for love. (laughs) And you had, you had done this big design that it's almost like you did this. It's almost like you reached the apex of your career and like a 
almost no time. <laughs> You're like, oh, what do I do now? <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. It wasn't a real project. It was mm. more like a prototype, like a research project, you could mm. call that. So mm-hmm. it wasn't mm-hmm. like that. But yeah, I mean, I had a very, I had a very good network in the United States. Mm-hmm. I had my professors, I had business connections, I had industry connections, and I was doing wow. very, very well. And yeah. I decided to leave that for love and move to Singapore, wow. which was heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. I still remember I sat, I took my flight from New York. I mm-hmm. sat in the flight and for once I used, you know, I, I, as the flight just took off, I had like tears rolling down. Mm. <laughs> it was a very difficult mm. decision, but in hindsight, I don't see how it would have worked out in any mm-hmm. other way. You know, you don't regret uh, the decision, obviously. I regretted it for a while in the sense mm-hmm. that uh, I had a I had a bit of a struggle mm-hmm. finding my foothold in healthcare architecture in Singapore mm-hmm. because things were done very differently here. Mm-hmm. I did, however, find some good firms to work with, and I designed two very big hospitals here. Wow. But I think I think in the end, like that was one of the reasons that made me switch, mm-hmm. and it was just culturally I was not aligned like when I say culturally is like mm-hmm. the professional culture mm-hmm. the professional culture I was not completely aligned and I think I was just mm-hmm. looking for something you know so I mm-hmm. I got I got a lot of joy in mm-hmm. the work that I did here and I learned a lot mm-hmm. uh, but I, I still love you know people people switch careers because they hate their jobs or mm-hmm. they hate something mm-hmm. I loved it I loved mm-hmm. it I just mm-hmm. didn't like the people I guess. Interesting. So if you had stayed in the US, first of all, you'd be a lot less lucky in love and you wouldn't have your daughter, <laughs> but you may, you may have never switched to food photography. 100%. I have no doubt about it. Yes. That's interesting. I would have never done that. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. You know, life is interesting, man. You just can't be afraid. You can't be afraid to make change. Can you? You cannot be and you and not yeah. be afraid to make changes. So then tell how did it, was it like a light bulb all at once? I'm going to be a food photographer <laughs> or was it like this slow, like you're stepping along carefully on stones across, you know, a, a creek, you know? So it's, it's so funny how it mm. happened because this like food was not even a career option. Right. Mm-hmm. And now when I look back, I feel like it was in my face the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I just refused to look at it. Mm-hmm. It was telling me, pick me, pick me. And I didn't, you know. So, um, it was patiently I, waiting for you. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, whatever you do in life, mm-hmm. I feel like it's actually going to bring you to what you're actually meant to do. Mm-hmm. You just have to take that leap of faith. And I mm-hmm. guess I took it, you know. So, mm-hmm. so, th- but this is not the way I describe my switch. So mm-hmm. I always say this is exactly how I describe it. So you know, mm-hmm. I always say that, you know, the moment when you jump off a cliff mm-hmm. and you make it, mm-hmm. but then you look up You're and like, then you realize what you how just did I just do did. that? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, did you survive? <laughs> how mm-hmm. did you even survive it? So I mm-hmm. guess my journey, my switch was exactly that, Becky. It was mm-hmm. this huge risk and a huge leap of faith that I took and. I don't know how I did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I just did, you know, I was, so I was, so six years I was working as an architect in Singapore and I was, I was really liking the work, but I think mm-hmm. that somewhere the culture had gotten to me mm-hmm. and I was taking a break from architecture where I just wanted to cook. 
Mm-hmm. I just wanted to be around food. Mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. you turned to because... it for comfort and all yeah. of that. Um, oh, absolutely difficulty. Yeah, mm. and my life as an architect was very stressful. Mm-hmm. I I was always um, at the verge of a panic panic mm-hmm. attack or a collapse. Like I worked twenty four seven, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. In the middle of the night, I would check emails and reply to emails. So I learned a lot, but I was very stressed, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then suddenly I had this time where I was in my happy place and I was Mm -hmm. cooking. Mm -hmm. It had nothing to do with photography. I I literally Mm -hmm. just cooked and I shared photos on our Mm -hmm. family WhatsApp group, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And then my sister one day told me about Instagram and I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, what is that? Because as an architect, I was not even on social Mm -hmm. media. Mm -hmm. So I go on Instagram and I start putting out my bad photos. And then suddenly one day somebody wanted to pay me to take photos of their food. Mm. And I was like, what is this possible? Does this happen? Does this exist? What is this? Who pays for taking food photos? And Mm. I was taking really bad food photos. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was a customer for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) So true. (laughs) Yeah. So they weren't even good photos, Mm. but Again, I guess there was just this thought in my mind that is there a possibility? Like, mm. am I sitting on something? Mm. And I'm not a person who likes regrets. I actually mm-hmm. I can't live with it. And I feel like if there's ever an opportunity, something in front of me, and I don't do it, mm. I, I can't sleep at night. <laughs> mm. You know. So this this thought of being paid to take a food photo mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. was very interesting. Mm. And the thing was that I, because I came from an architecture background, things like rhythm, harmony, Mm -hmm. aesthetics, color, proportion, Mm -hmm. this was second nature to me. Uh, There was just one minor detail that I had never used a DSLR in my life. I mean, minor detail. (laughs) It was so funny, Becky, Mm. that I actually went ahead and I said, I'm going to start a food photography business. And at that time, I had no money. Mm. I had never used a DSLR. And I had no idea what a photography business meant. Mm. And yet I just went all in mm-hmm. and I put myself on a timer. Mm-hmm. I I had a few job offers on the table from other architecture firms. I said, wow. give me four months. I four, asked for four months. months. I said, wow. give me four months and I will come back to you whether I can I can join you or I or not. I will let wow. you know. Yeah. In those four months, I went and I first took a two-hour workshop to understand how to even hold a yeah. camera, Yeah, you know, how to get it on manual mode, yeah. and then went and bought a lens. And yeah. then I was like, okay, if I want to be a photographer, I need to shoot for restaurants. So I need to be a commercial mm-hmm. food photographer. So let me go and learn how to use artificial light. Mm-hmm. So at the end of four months, I not only knew how to use a camera on manual mode, I knew how to use artificial light as well. Yeah. Not that mm-hmm. I was great at it, but mm-hmm. I knew how to use it. Mm-hmm. And which puts At you that, above, I think, about 90 or 95 percent of photographers. Oh, wow. Well, why would you say that? Uh, being able to use artificial light. Mm. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's become more common now. It was mm. less at that time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I knew it from the beginning that if I if I have to go in, I have to go all in, you know, mm-hmm. just give it my oh, best absolutely. Shot. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I and at the at the end of that four month mark, I actually went ahead and registered the business in Singapore. Wow. So we were a legal business, we were up and mm-hmm. running. Mm-hmm. And within a f- I, I just started working like crazy. I was practicing mm-hmm. uh 
photography for eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. And I was just working like my tail was on, was on fire. And I had my first mm-hmm. client in just a few months and they were the largest retailer in Singapore. Wow. So it was, it was through word of mouth, but it wow. gave me such a big boost. And after that, I don't think I've ever worked for a client just once. There's been no looking back since then. Amazing. It's it's just been a series of, I guess, leaps of faith. Amazing. And I, I don't know if I would have done this earlier, but I feel like my architecture mm. had a huge role to play in my photography, mm. you know? So I'd like to know a little bit more about that. Um, visually, I'm sure. I suspect also the lessons on business and professionalism that you learned mm. as an architecture were equally as important. Am I am I right or wrong on that? Absolutely. You're spot mm. on. Absolutely. Mm. That's exactly what I meant. You know, mm-hmm. just being able to conduct yourself in a meeting mm-hmm. and not just that, if your client has requirements, how do you conceptualize it? How do you give them sketches? How do they know mm-hmm. what you're going to give them? You know, delivering a project from yeah. A to Z mm-hmm. and just being able to understand client requirements, coming up with your own system of mm how you take them through the creative process and, you know, certain, like, how do you bring your values and mm. your professional etiquette to mm-hmm. the, to the shoot? Mm-hmm. And how do you make them want to work only with you? Mm-hmm. So I guess the way all of that put together, I guess it just came from all these years that I had been sitting and working with clients in architecture. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> it oh, was not exactly. new. I was very comfortable. Yes. 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 And you took yourself seriously. I did. I took mm-hmm. myself very too mm-hmm. seriously. I think what? at some points I had to remind myself, this is why you left architecture. Remember? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And now, now you have a podcast to teach other people um, about these concepts and to try to help them better at food photography and better at food photography business. Absolutely, Becky. Mm. This podcast is like just so close to my heart. It is mm. also one of those uh, jump off the cliff kind of mm. decisions. <laughs> you yes. know, it really wasn't something that was brewing and brewing mm-hmm. and something I dreamt of, but it felt so right in mm-hmm. my gut that yeah. I woke up one day and I declared to the world and to my husband mm-hmm. that I'm going to start a podcast. And it took me one year to start it because my daughter was only one year old at that Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a lot of commitments with her. Mm -hmm. So I was very slow. Mm. And uh, there were many times where I felt like, is this what I really want to do? Mm -hmm. And every time I just kept coming back to it. So yeah, the podcast is, I would say my heart is really Mm. (laughs) in it, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, so Mm-hmm. It's basically a podcast for all like food content creators. So food stylists, food photographers, hobbyists, businesses, food bloggers, like just anyone who creates food related content for any kind of media. And I think because I, because I, I built a business from ground up mm-hmm. and I, I feel like I know the pain and yeah. I didn't come from any business background. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I just have to be out there to make it mm-hmm. easier for everyone else, because it is not that difficult, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, I cover everything from photography to styling technique to, you know, business. We also mm-hmm. talk about social media, but I think I talk also a lot about positive mindset. I think mm-hmm. that's played a very big role in me being able to survive and mm-hmm. move forward in my creative journey. So the podcast yeah, is all about, all about that. Mm. 
people definitely need to tune in. So tell them where, tell them where to find it and where else to find you on social media. So my podcast is called My Food Lens, and that's pretty much my name everywhere. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Instagram. If you're into food, styling, food, photography, and a ton of fun reels, then I'm at Dutima underscore My Food Lens on Instagram. Yes. But my website, blog, podcast, Facebook, Pinterest, everything is My Food Lens. So it's super mm-hmm. duper easy. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. Yutima, thank you so, so much for your time. Is there anything you wanted to say that I didn't give you a chance to say? I think I think I'm all good. I think I spoke more than you needed me to say. No, I, I loved every second of it. I love to know about your story. And uh, I really do encourage people to go listen to your podcast. I think you are the person for sure to be sharing um, this information with the world. Oh, thank you, Becky. This was so wonderful. I've always talked about photography Mm -hmm. and, you know, the technical stuff on other podcasts, Mm -hmm. but this, I was so emotional Mm -hmm. when I was actually preparing or getting ready, you know, because Mm -hmm. you brought, I mean, your podcast is amazing. It brought back Mm -hmm. so many memories. It made Mm -hmm. me think in such a different way. And Mm -hmm. it actually took me back to my, my, my eternal love for food and where it came from. So thank you so much for having me. It was such an honor, such a pleasure, really. I feel exactly the same. It was an honor to have you, to hear your story, to be inspired by your parents. Just how remarkable are your parents? And look at this um, legacy that they've left through you. And I'm sure if we heard your sister's story, it would be an equal legacy. And um, I think that's inspiring to me you know, as a parent, just to remember, like, keep putting that time in because, wow, look, look how you took it and ran, you know, and then to hear your story and um, these risks you were willing to take. And some of them, I mean, I think it was good for me to hear. I I think my, my biggest takeaway today with where I am in my story and what's happening in Mm -hmm. my life this week is that Mm -hmm. you made a decision that made you sad even though you knew it was the best and the right decision, like you knew how to prioritize. Um, It's, it's such a difficult thing, I think to say, well, I can't have it all. So I'm going to choose what's best. um, Ride this wave of grief and then make the best of what I've chosen which is really what you did because really you could have descended into bitterness and said, I knew I shouldn't have moved to Singapore. And if we could just go back to the U S but you just, you didn't look back and you made the best then of what you knew was the best decision, which is very difficult to do. I really applaud you on that. Thank you. I think, I think that was probably the hardest uh, decision um, Mm. I took. And it actually, it, it really impacted me for many, many years. I battled with it. Mm. And um, I I think I felt depressed for a few years. Mm. Um, You know, it would come back again and it would, it would show up in different ways, Mm. uh, you know, but yeah, I guess I'm very happy now because it was Mm. leading me to this. (laughs) Isn't that, isn't that good for all of us to hear? Yes. I yeah. I think we just have to, if, if we ever feel, if we ever wake up with a feeling, mm. we must address it. If there is a calling, mm. just pay attention to it. Even if it is for a moment, I feel like every time we get ourselves out of a comfort zone or every time we uh, listen to something that our gut is telling us, mm. we 
we are opening an opportunity for ourselves. So, mm. you know, that's, that's what I believe. So it's best mm. not to have regrets. Mm. <laughs> you know, what's the worst that can happen, right? Right, 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 right. I appreciate that so much. Yeah. Well, you've taught me a lot about cooking, a lot about India, a lot about how to live life. <laughs> I love how to make my decisions for today. So I appreciate it all so much. I hope you have such a wonderful evening and I can't, I just can't wait to share this with listeners. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Becky. It was so lovely uh, talking to you and I will send you my uh, photo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess I haven't done that. That I sounds send great. That, to you. that sounds great. And I've been Googling this whole time you've been talking. I'm like, what's the city Punta? Oh, look at that. And then the um the Corbusier, um, the Chandigar, I Googled and the um what was the other place in Delhi, the food spot? It's a not place. Yes, I, place. I Googled yep. that. And so I have so many visuals to share with oh, <laughs> share wow. the show show notes. So oh yeah, my God, what a, amazing. Yeah, what a <laughs> wonderfully informative and helpful and inspiring interview. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a wonderful day or evening, I guess. You have a wonderful day, Becky. Yes. Thank you. Stay away from the storm. Yes. (laughs) Yes. All right. Talk soon. See you around on Instagram. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening here to the end. Uh, Just one quick reminder, if you could leave a review or forward this on, that would mean so much to me. It'll help me out. It'll help all of my guests out as well. So that's it. Thank you. Have a great week, my friends.